0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Built for Devs. I'm Lenny Proust, General Partner at Amplify Partners. This podcast will offer up actionable insights to overcome some of the most challenging aspects of company building, from nailing your initial product to scaling your open source community to getting your commercial offering into customers' hands. You will hear directly from entrepreneurs and operators from the world's leading cloud, dev tools, and distributed systems companies who have solved these challenges firsthand. We're here to help you go from zero to one. Today, we're joined by my friend and developer marketing savant, Francesca Crihelli. Francesca is the rare marketing polymath, having led community efforts at MongoDB before stepping into growth and then account-based marketing roles at the company. She is now Director of Developer Experience and Growth at Sneak. Today, Francesca shares with us the pillars of a successful developer relations function, how to build a community around a developer-first product, and techniques to market to developers who are notoriously resistant to traditional marketing methods. Well, Francesca, thank you so much for joining us. I know we've had a lot of conversations about these topics, so I'm super excited that you're going to be able to share it with a broader audience. And so maybe to start, how would you say marketing to developers or really a techn- any technical audience is different than a more traditional enterprise audience?
1: Yeah, that's something that a lot of people who get started in developer marketing who have worked in other industries or have worked with other audiences before come to this reckoning that the tactics they used in the past just will not work for developers. And I think it's just a matter of understanding your audience and any good marketer has to go through the motions of understanding, you know, what does my audience care about? What stresses them out? Where do they go to find community, to learn about new things, new trends happening in the industry? for developers that that world is vast. And if you're not in that world, it's really difficult to understand where to go first. So I think, you know, going through the steps when you're first getting started as a new person in developer marketing is, you know, taking the steps to understand that audience. But I think the primary differences are basically in how developers want to be communicated to. And I don't think it's too different from how consumers feel today you know they want honesty they want transparency they want to make sure that your organization reflects their values and developers are the same way they need to be spoken to straight like the way they talk to each other so they want to work with software that they feel like understands them so if you think about what that looks like in terms of messaging it means like speaking in their language so talking to them about the technical aspects of their job And how that fits into what the value prop of your company is. So, for example, the canonical example of like, you know, how to use Postgres in your Python blog app or something like that is, you know, that's the type of thing you want to be showing. It's like, I have a problem. I want to create a blog or content management system. I want to use Python and I want to use Postgres. How do I do it? put it together and that's your piece. And entire campaigns can be built off of that concept. So it's just a matter of understanding like the pain points, et cetera. I think in terms of other aspects, like when you think about the visuals and what kinds of representation you want, in a lot of software companies, they use images of people and that works really well because you can humanize the software. I think for developer first companies, you have to think about the arenas and environments that developers are working in. So if a developer goes to your site and sees a terminal window, or like a command line interface, or an IDE like JetBrains or VS Code, they're gonna feel a bit more comfortable and understand that you know what they're talking about and that you are a legit developer tool because they see their own day-to-day workflow on your website. So I think on in terms of like marketing and distribution, messaging and you know what your creative looks like. I think those are the building blocks of how to think about developer marketing. But just if you're, if you're getting started in it, go back to the fundamentals of, okay, how do I learn about a new audience? What are the things that I want, I'm curious about? And what are the ways in which I understand how my audience wants to be spoken to, what kinds of problems they have? And you could build a really good foundation just that way.
0: Awesome. I guess if I could distill what you're saying in two broad messages, it would be the tactics are much more show, not tell. And it seems like the sacred cow really is building trust.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a lot of building trust. I think it's a lot of show, don't tell, because I think unlike a lot of other products that you might use today, or like the average person might use today, like iPhone apps. Android apps, those are designed in part to help make you experience value very quickly. And developer tools want to do that, but a lot of developers' workflows are very complicated and difficult. Mm -hmm. And so if you're telling a story about how you simplify this entire developer workflow. A developer is likely not gonna believe you because they've been told that same story before and all of their, by every vendor or every product that's in their workflow and their workflow is still a little difficult. So it's really a matter of showing that you're going to actually fulfill the promise and that you're not gonna be like everyone else who promised and didn't deliver potentially. So for example, like one of the most popular programming languages in the world is Python, which I mentioned before. And Python was built to be almost like declarative English so that you could say, I want to create this and you can more simply create that. The levels of abstraction that developers need to work in today is so extreme that having to do any other additional type of cognitive load is just too much. So showing how you simplify every aspect of their development workflow is a huge win. And that's one of the reasons why the show don't tell and building trust is so important. And so once again, when you learn about the audience and understand the mindset, like just sit next to a developer all day and see how they work. Don't sit next to a development manager, sit next to somebody who codes all day they're not in meetings, they have headphones on, they have two or three monitors up and they're constantly just writing code. That is a very difficult process and there's a lot of thinking involved. It's a lot of abstraction, as I mentioned before. So it's a really different workflow than a lot of people who are marketers have experience with. Mm -hmm. So that type of understanding your audience and getting in their shoes can be really valuable when you're starting to think about how you want to go to market. And so, yeah, the building trust and show, don't tell are really important because of that aspect, because so many people have disregarded that in the past. So you'll really stand out when you do.
0: So switching gears a little bit, I know you've had a really unique experience because you've done everything from kind of community oriented marketing to enterprise account based marketing. So you've really seen the full life cycle of hooking a developer early in their journey And converting them to a massive enterprise account. Can you help us delineate or can you help define kind of the roles and functions of DevRel, of growth and demand gen, and then kind of what we think of as more traditional account-based brand marketing?
1: Yeah, for sure. So to me, marketing is how you talk about your product, the way in which you represent your product across multiple channels. And it's also the primary source of identifying revenue potential. And so a lot of that centers around data and being really, really data-driven these days. I think marketing in the past was very data-driven. It was all about focus groups and understanding what customers want. And now I think we just have so much information about what customers want. A lot of it's prioritizing and figuring out who we go after, why, and what message we send to them. So I think a lot of marketing is answering those questions. And there's obviously a lot of different streams of marketing. You could say that ABM is probably the most prominent and powerful one in the enterprise today, primarily because when you take an account-based approach, you really hit all of the members of the buying team, or you can follow that process of solidifying the buying team and selling to the whole buying team. And I was at Serious Decisions a couple of years ago, and they were talking a lot about this of like, you know, what's the buying team look like? How do you market to the different members of the buying team? And I think within developer marketing, this is really important because A lot of the times the person that you're marketing to primarily, the end user of your product is not the person who signs the checks. So for example, I'll use an example of a company everyone knows, which is Stripe. You know, they're worth like $95 billion or something (laughs) like that. And they're primarily, they create APIs for payments and make a, a lot of different elements of payments much more simple to integrate into applications. And one of the interesting things about that is that usually the developers are the ones that are implementing that because it is a lot of work to build an entire service for processing payments across many different types of needs when you're moving money around. But what Stripe does is they have these APIs that call those services, make it a lot easier. So developers like it because of the simplicity, but the actual person who signs it is usually like the CFO So, how do you tie those two people together? And a lot of that happens with account based marketing. When you identify that there's groundswell in an account and that there's developers from a certain account that are really interested in Stripe, you can take an account based approach and say, okay, we know that we need these different personas within this group to be aware of what Stripe is, the value it provides, and the ways in which this is going to continue to deliver value over time. Now we can communicate to these different members in different organizations to help convince them that this is the right deal to go forward with. So I think that's why ABM is a really powerful pillar there. But in order to do that, you need to build the groundswell first. And so that's where DevRel, you start off with DevRel, and then I think growth plays a really nice piece in there. So I'll start off with growth marketing first and growth, product-led growth in general, I know a lot of people have been talking about product-led growth. A lot of people associate it directly with like a free product. And that is just the way a lot of product-led growth companies work today, but it's not necessarily the only way that you can organize a product-led growth company. Product-led growth is, is essentially looking at loops. And what are these growth loops that when you start putting value into them, so when you start investing resources into the loop, you actually get more value out of the other end. So the canonical example of that is the Dropbox invite loop. (laughs) So when Dropbox first launched, and I think they still have this today, but when they launched, you could get five gigabytes for free when you joined. But then if you ran out of space, you could get more by inviting a new person to Dropbox. And that was a really powerful referral chain. And so if you can imagine when you get an input of one user, that user invites another user, and then that user invites another user. But the user prior, so the end user gets five extra gigabytes, which means that they're encouraged to use the product even more. So the loop provides value in the acquisition of net new customers, but it also increases retention and consumption of the original user. So growth loops are the primary foundation of what growth is based on today. And constructing those growth loops Starts off with marketing in a lot of ways because one of the most powerful growth loops in marketing are in SEO. So creating content that continues to deliver value, that gets optimized over time, that Google credits with credibility because of the traffic you generate, et cetera. So that's a classic growth loop that not a lot of people talk about, but also PPC, so paid advertising, particularly on Google search and on Bing as well. That's another powerful growth loop because if you find the keyword terms and if you can test the keyword terms that are really valuable for you, then you can end up with tons more value and tons of customer acquisition in the long term. So those are the types of marketing growth loops that you can think about. But the most powerful ones are when you have marketing, analytics, design engineering and product thinking together. And that's the structure that we have at Sneak. We have these growth pods. They're exactly that. They're groups of different people with different subject matter expertise. And they work together to identify these growth loops based on customer insights on the data that we collect in our different tools. We use Looker and Amplitude primarily to understand product usage. And, you know, they develop hypotheses and try to figure out, you know, what is this growth loop? How can we accelerate it? So most recently, a lot of that has been around, you know, our own invite user flow. And then additionally around like our acquisition programs around like SEO and around how we drive people to the login page from various different places. So that's like the fundamentals of growth. And the reason why it aligns really closely with DevRel is because a lot of what growth thinks about is like the first couple of minutes of the product experience and how you can facilitate a really simple getting started flow so that users can experience value. Because as soon as user experience value with the product, you then enter into a tremendous number of growth loops that you can generate. So you can't get the original Dropbox user to invite another user if they don't understand the value of Dropbox. So you need them to experience value. But DevRel is, I think, all about being able to communicate the value to the direct audience that you're trying to sell your product to or that you're trying to get to use your product. And you can't really do DevRel if you don't have that really easy getting started experience. It's very difficult to do that because so much of it is the show don't tell. So if you have a really complicated getting started experience, it's going to be really hard for you to be able to show that easily. Now, there's a lot of edge cases there like Kubernetes, which you know has become wildly popular, but is really, really difficult to deploy and use. But I think that just speaks to the value that it provides. The end value is so... Enticing that a lot of people are really curious about it and want to learn more. So, a lot of DevRel, the foundations there are can you drive awareness of your product by better understanding and putting these folks who are really embedded in these programming communities into the community to help you as a business understand how you can reach them and then also do all that work to reach them and build those relationships. A lot of the times in DevRel, that gets boiled down to sending people to speak at conferences. That's a very successful form of DevRel, but it's not the only one. You also have education and a lot of the times documentation and support exists in DevRel organizations. You also have content creation. And then finally you have community development and engagement where you're thinking a lot about how are we positioning ourselves to the wider group of people that use our product and that understand our product and want to be closer to us. And then also how do we identify the leaders in this group of people And create communities around them so that they can help us scale our distribution, awareness, etc. So those are how they all fit together. I think in a lot of cases, they all do boil up to marketing, but they also fit into so many different go-to-market approaches and tactics that it really spans the entire organization.
0: That's awesome. Super helpful. And you kind of jumped to my next question, but one of the most common questions we get by our companies is they have some sort of early product that targets a technical end user. The next question is how do we bootstrap a community? How do we bootstrap some adoption? And so naturally that conversation leads to the topic of DevRel, which is fairly fraught in the sense that there's a bunch of different words that get thrown out, advocacy, evangelism, developer success. Mm -hmm. And so can you, Francesca, help us make sense of this and give us a framework for understanding the kind of the key functions of DevRel.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I do think that DevRel is a very misunderstood concept because when I talk to founders, they have they're often questions, they're like, How do I start a DevRel team? <laughs> and I think for a lot of folks, like They've seen marketing teams before, they've seen engineering teams before, but they've never seen a DevRel team. But actually, there's a lot of similarities between like an engineering team, a marketing team, a finance team, and DevRel. Basically, I think a lot of people do DevRel wrong by just assuming it's advocacy all around. Advocacy is one really important part of DevRel, but it's not the only thing. And advocacy is that going out, speaking at conferences, creating relationships with people, identifying like really big opportunities where you could possibly partner with others. Like this is all the elements of advocacy, but there's also other functions and specializations that you can build within DevRel that can make you really successful at targeting developers from all around. But first and foremost, I think foundationally, one of the most important pieces is having a really data-driven approach to everything that you do. I think this is so important because so much of the time, DevRel takes a little bit of time to work. So, for you to really see long term results of DevRel, it takes a long time because the ultimate quote unquote results that you want to see are revenue. That's what the business wants to see. They want to grow their revenue. But there's also a lot of leading indicators pre revenue. So, as you build your DevRel organization, you have to be thinking about what are we tracking? What does it mean? And does everyone agree as everyone on the same page that these are the things we're tracking? I think it, when you don't do that from the beginning, you kind of do yourself a disservice because you hold yourself back in a lot of ways. You don't set yourself up for success there. You don't set yourself up to be able to communicate the value and get buy-in from everyone off the bat. Then that way, if things aren't moving, in the way that other people think they should be moving, you're stuck saying, well, it takes time. (laughs) It takes time to drive awareness. It takes time to build this developer community. But the truth is it, it does. So a lot of the times the things I see people measuring are things like page views, account engagements, how many stars they have on GitHub, how many contributors you have. I think there's a lot of different ways to measure DevRel, but what I really try to think about is what's the end goal and how do we go back in time from the end goal and think about the steps that it's going to take to get there. So I wouldn't count GitHub stars if GitHub is not going to be a place where you're going to be driving community to, or if you're going to be driving engagements or conversions or you know, product usage from. If your GitHub account is like dormant, don't be driving GitHub stars or don't be trying to make that core vanity metric. But if you are relying on GitHub as one of your primary distribution sources, then yes, you should be investing in your GitHub page. You should be thinking about the clarity by which you communicate the value on your github readme things like that. So yeah, I think the foundations of devrel a lot of it comes from being data driven and incorporating that element into it. But the other pieces that I think I mentioned before of, you know, advocacy, content, education, which I think is often left out, it's all around, you know, how do we build resources to help developers learn about all these new technologies that are coming out that integrate with our software so that they could better use our software. I think that's a really important element. But then there's other things that different organizations do that I really love. So at my past role at MongoDB, we had a really cool startup accelerator program that we started that helped us work with early stage startups that wanted to use our platform. And we gave it to them for free for an extended period of time. And then in exchange, they did like, programming with us and did different like customer stories and stuff like that. When I left, two of the biggest customers that we had running on self-serve were people who came from that program. So that was really cool. And that's a way that you can use developer relations to try to directly engage with like a core audience, for example, like startups, which could be really powerful. Another thing that I love to see DevRel teams doing is investing in college education and high school education. So finding ways to build like college or student ambassadors, helping them do things like build clubs at their school so that they could teach people about your technology and the technologies that surround it. Things like FIRST Robotics have been so instrumental in getting more kids interested in STEM. I know that there's a lot of like women's led robotics teams now as a result, which is great. So that type of structure works really well with high school students and with some, to some extent with college students. So think about how you can incorporate that into your DevRel strategy as well. I know it's not as easy for early stage startups, but I can say that, you know, getting folks in at the early age when they're doing their education and they're curious and they want to build up a skill set, helping them understand How your technology fits into their education can be really powerful for them, especially as they then go into the workforce and bring along their toolkit that they learned with you.
0: So you just talked about a bunch of different initiatives that a DevRel org can undertake to drive kind of developer awareness and interest and usage. For a company that's just getting started with limited time and resources, what do you think is absolutely critical? Where would you invest Of the foundations of Devrel, where would you advise startups to really invest their time and energy?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. So I always say three things, and I always tell founders that they know what those three things are because they've used new products before. (laughs) (laughs) The first is make the first five minutes as easy as possible. Make the install a dream, NPM install, your product name if possible, make the settings and setup process really, really easy. You don't wanna complicate anything. Make sure that people can get to value as fast as possible with as little obstacles as you can. The second piece is creating really awesome docs. By awesome docs, I just mean clear, descriptive, no-nonsense information about how you use your product Answering people's questions. Every developer knows that good documentation helps facilitate what they do. Documentation, I sometimes say, oh, it's a band aid for a product that doesn't work, but that's actually not entirely true. It's actually part of the product, it's how your product works because developers usually have the documentation pulled up alongside their IDE as they're programming because not everyone can remember every single invocation or every single step to every process. So that's a really important piece. And then finally, I would say build some type of forum or oftentimes people call it quote unquote community, but create some sort of space where people can ask you for support and you can showcase that publicly because A, it's a really powerful way for you to start building relationships for people to start trusting your business. It's also really good for SEO. Questions and answers are a really good way for you to build credibility online. That's why Quora has such strong SEOs because they're question and answer based. So people can often discover you online through your Q&A or your forums. So those are the three things that I always recommend to founders.
0: Francesca, thank you so much. This was awesome. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Built for Devs. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear other episodes like it, please hit subscribe. You can also find more content on our blog at amplifypartners.com and on our Twitter at Amplify Partners. I'm Lenny, and thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.